This CLC podcast is brought to you from Crossroads Life Church located in Harriston, Ontario. We hope God speaks to you through this week's installment. I want to talk to you this morning uh, about the force of unity or the power of unity. What happens when we come into unity? Unity is is something that when you look at God, you can't get away from. When I look up at God, I, I know there's no arguments in the Trinity. There's no disagreements in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost uh, don't, uh, you know, pull up a table and a chair and say, well, I disagree about that, and I disagree about that, and, and uh, you know, we're not going to move forward until we have an agreement. No, there's absolute, total, 100% agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen? They work in unison. They work together in everything that they do. We don't get a picture from Scripture so much about eternity past, but we do get a picture of what happened when God said, okay, man is sin, now let's go and redeem him. Let's go and make everything right. And I just want to give you a a quick picture here as we get into the Word of how the Trinity works in everything that he does in absolute total unity. So in creation, the Father speaks, let there be. Right? Let there be. But the, the Son is the one who kind of stretched out his hand to make it work. And it was the Holy Spirit who made it happen, who empowered it. In redemption, the Father initiates redemption. Even before creation, he says, uh, the Bible tells us that Christ was crucified before the creation of the world. In other words, the Father went to the Son and said, will you go? In light of the fact that this is what mankind will do when we create him. Will you go? And the son said, yes, I'll go. And so the father initiated it, but the son purchased it, right? He purchased us with his own blood. He purchased us, and it's the Holy Spirit who reveals it and seals it. He reveals it to us, and he seals us until the day of redemption, right? Until the day in which we're with him. And then sanctification, the work of holiness, the father sets the example He is holy, and the Bible says, both in the Old and the New Testament, be holy as I am holy, right? There's that call for holiness to take over in our lives. So the Father, he's the one that sets the example. Uh, The Son, the Bible says in Malachi, he's the refiner and purifier of silver. That's you and me. That's you and me. He's the refiner and he's the purifier. And then how does he do it? Well, he does it with the Holy Spirit, with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Everything that God does, he does in unity. The work that's going on in your life, the Father says yes. The Son says yes. And the Holy Spirit says yes, right? The blessings of God are what? Yes and amen, right? Heaven says yes. All of heaven says it. Not a part of heaven. Not a piece. All of heaven says yes to the blessing upon your life, and we respond with amen. Let it be so. I want, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis uh, 11. Genesis 11. uh, And uh, one, we're going to read a couple of verses there. At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Note the statement, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. The first thing they had was the same language. They were all speaking the same thing. They were all saying the same thing. They were all saying, let's build this city. They were all saying, let's build this tower, better known as a ziggurat. They were all in agreement, we're going to do this. And then, and then it says that nothing would be impossible to them. Now, if God's a God of unity and he loves unity, why was he so displeased with this unity? Why was he so upset? They're united. Why would he not say thumbs up? Thumbs up. Good job. You're united. But instead, his heart is displeased. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not into this unity. This unity is not my unity. Why? Because that unity was actually opposite to what God had spoken over mankind. Number one, God gets the glory, not us. They wanted fame for themselves. They wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted everybody to rally around each other. Man, 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 focused on the things of the flesh. Look at our accomplishments. Look at what we've done. Look what we've accomplished, giving no glory to God whatsoever, number one. Number two, God had said in creation, be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth. Don't all stay together. Fill the earth with my glory. So there was a call for going out, whereas they were saying, we all want to stay together. We don't want to move from one another. So two points that God was looking down on and saying, listen, I disagree with what you're doing, and I'm going to do something about it. And so he comes down and does what? He confuses their language and causes them to spread out throughout the world. Wonderful, fantastic. But the point of unity and the power of the unity was that God recognized they could do anything they set their heart and their mind to. They were empowered by their will. They were empowered by something that God had given them, but now they were using it for the wrong purpose. How many of you have kids? How many of you taught your children, as soon as they had understanding, one of the first things you wanted to teach them, said, I need to teach my child this. They need this in their life. How many of you taught your children, I want to see a show of hands, how many of you taught your children to say no? You don't teach your children to say no. You teach your children to say yes. Because nature, <laughs> their nature does what? They say no. All of a sudden, they get to that point, right, where they get their word, mama, dada, no. <laughs> right? Mama, dada, no. So wait a minute. I didn't teach that. They picked it up all by themselves. They just, they got it. And then you see the little glint in their eye. There's this little glint, this little smile that comes on their face when you say, honey, I want you to do this. And they go, now. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on here? And then you apply, right? You apply the board of education to the seat of learning. And then they're able to move forward in life and get an understanding of what uh, and how they need to respond. You don't teach your child to say no. 
you have to teach them to say yes. But what they have discovered is the power of their will. They, they, they've, they've found the secret. I have a will. The Bible calls it that we're a self-will, a self-will moral agent. Each of us has a will. Each of us has the power to say yes, and each of us has the power to say no. Each of us has, to, has the power to move in any given direction that we set our heart and our minds to. In other words, uh, simply spoken, speaking, this morning, you decided to get up and come to church. You set your will, and your will set your body in motion. Now, there's a whole lot of folks out there that did what? Chose not to. And they're at home doing whatever they're doing. But you decided, I'm going to choose to do something that will produce life in me and life in others. So you put your will in motion, and you moved it in a given direction. Imagine with me what would happen if collectively... All of our wills were saying the same thing. What happens when an individual says something and chooses to do it? A certain job gets done. But what happens when a church, what happens when a church says, we're going to come into unity, we're going to have the same vision and the same dream, and we're all going to work together to see it accomplished? So there's an evangelist, and he's out preaching. He's in a place called Irian Jaya. And uh, there's all these tribal people that are there. And he says, he says out loud, just thinking, not expecting anything to happen. He says, man, I'd love to have a Coke. And this young man hears him and disappears. And he sees this guy run up a hill and vanish. Now, if you know where Irian Jaya is, Papua New Guinea, it's way out there. And all of a sudden, this guy shows up with a Coke. And he, he, he's shocked. He's holding the Coke in his hand. And he says, and it was true, Coke got here before Jesus. How did Coke get here before Jesus? Because all these folks that he was ministering to and that whole area had never heard the name of Jesus. They didn't know him at all. But Coke was there. How does an organization that's only been around for 100 years do what the church should have been doing, had the power to do for 2,000 years but couldn't do it? I'll tell you why. We're not united. Not in unity. Now you're saying, well, how are we supposed to win the whole world? No, no, no. Each church, wherever they are, has a God-given call to preach and teach from around where they are. But what happens is, is we get divided and we don't do the mission the Great Commission. We don't do the vision statement of heaven where we preach the gospel to every creature. Somebody say amen. And when we're united in that purpose, when we're united in that purpose, the Bible tells us this. Listen, listen. We can't be defeated. We can't be stopped. So here, here in uh, Cali, Colombia, the drug cartels were ruling the day. 
Many of you know this. Many of you are my age and just a little bit younger, a little bit older. You know that there was regularly on the news how cocaine was flooding into America and it was coming from Colombia and Colombia was up in arms. And every time they tried to catch one of these drug lords, they simply could not catch them. And the Christians, the Christians in Colombia were fed up. Many Christians had died, had lost their lives as they were trying to do their part in fighting against this movement. And God gave them a revelation of unity and prayer. And they started praying together in, in uh, Colosseums. Didn't matter what, faith, what, what part of the Christian faith they were. Didn't matter because they loved Cali, Colombia, and they wanted God to have his way there. So they began to fast and pray and pray and fast in unity for one thing. God, we want you to tear down this cartel. We want you to bring it to its knees. We want you to get rid of it. Do whatever you have to do. And what the American government couldn't do in 15 years of fighting them, after like one year of prayer, in one year, all of them were caught within a year. Okay? That's the power of prayer. That's God's, that's God's army, right? That's God's army at work. When God's army, whether it be small or large, right? Whether it be small or large, the issue is unity. The issue is saying the same thing, praying the same thing. Not praying the same way, but praying the same thing. And so the unity, unity has power in and of itself. Unity changes what's impossible into being possible because God is working with you in the process. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Again, I say, excuse me, again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, if two of you, if two of you come into agreement, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, the word agree is the word for symphony. Have you ever heard a symphony? What's beautiful about a symphony is the unity and the harmony. Am I right? All these instruments, you see that, you, I don't know what the, the average size is of a, of a symphony, but it's got to be like 100 to 150 instruments. But when they all play, it's like, obviously, it's one sound. And the one sound is absolutely beautiful. And, and it, 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 it has such a calming, peaceful presence about it. The beauty of the music. Now, you take one instrument that's discordant, that's off-key, and have it play in the midst of that. And all of a sudden, all that beauty that you're hearing and all that beauty that you're enjoying, and then you hear that discordant chord, it's just like, ouch! It's like painful, like, oh, stop that. Please, somebody, take the bow away. Do something. Stop that one instrument from messing with the unity and the harmony that is there. Somebody say amen, right? This is the same thing that's in the church. It's the same thing in the church. Jesus says this. He says, listen, if I can just get two, just two, to come in agreement, I can show up and I can move. Well, what if he gets five? 
in agreement, all saying the same thing, all praying the same thing. What if I can get a hundred? What if I can get a thousand? All coming together, and we're like, I don't care about nothing else but a move of God. I'm not concerned about anything else but souls getting saved. And we call a prayer meeting. We're coming together, and we're not going to be distracted about all these other things, but we're just going to come into alignment, and we're going to come into agreement, and we're all going to pray for the same thing. We may pray it differently, but we're going to pray for the same thing. God looks down at that, and he sees that unity. He sees that unity, and he looks within himself. I'm fully united, and they're fully united. He says, I see a mirror of myself in their unity. I see a mirror of who I am being expressed in the earth. I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Um, I'm going to put a plug in here for the, the Passion Translation. If you haven't found it, you need to find it. Bible Gateway has it. version has it. It is not a, some people thinking, oh, it's not a translation. It's a, it's a paraphrase. No, it's a translation. The difference is uh, Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke, and a lot of the New Testament documents were actually written in, are in Aramaic. But we've been using the ones that have been translated into Greek and then from Greek to English. But when you read the Aramaic, the Aramaic is passionate. Let me surprise you for a minute. God is passionate. <laughs> God is passionate. He passionately loves you. Listen, he died for you. You don't die for someone you don't passionately love. Right? Right? You die for someone you passionately love. So the language, the Aramaic language, was a very passionate, emotional language. And sometimes it's good for us to go and say, oh, wow, like, wow, really that much? To see the extent of the emotion involved. Because we are emotional because he is emotional. Now, listen, Psalm 133, this is from the Passion Translation. How truly wonderful and delightful to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It's as precious as the sacred scented oil flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down upon his beard and running all the way down to the hem of his priestly robes. This heavenly harmony, this heavenly harmony can be compared to the dew dripping down from the skies upon Mount Hermon, refreshing the mountain slopes of Israel. For from this realm of sweet harmony, God will release his eternal blessing, the promise of life forevermore. Here is this picture of a high priest, and this high priest 
has oil being poured on him. This is a prophetic picture of the fivefold ministry of the church. It's the headship and the leadership mantle of the house of God. But there's this oil that's poured out, the empowerment of ministry. How many of you know that the empowerment of ministry is not natural, but it's spiritual? It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's, it's God taking words and doing, I don't know if you've ever taught or preached or spoken to someone and, and you thought you were saying this, but they heard something totally different. I've had people come up to me and say, oh, when you said this, and I'm thinking, I never said that. It's because the Holy Spirit took that and spoke something to their heart different from what you said, but they were in the atmosphere, and it was the message that they needed to hear, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. This is a supernatural work, come on, that the church does. It, it's exciting. It should be exciting for all of us that when we pray, as you pray, and you partner with the Holy Spirit, get ready for something explosive to happen. Right? Because it's not dependent on me. How many of you know no man is the healer? No man is the savior. Right? Come on. None of us. I can't save your soul. I can't heal your body. But I know someone who can. Woo! I know someone who can, and I put my trust and my confidence in him and in his word. And what I want to say to you is that how much potency is in a drop of oil? How, how much water of this is water? Right? Come on. How much of it is water? Every single drip, drop, drab of this water is water. So the oil of the Holy Spirit that falls on the high priest and flows down, some of us think, oh, I don't have the same anointing as the pastor. I don't have the same anointing as the, the teacher or the prophet. I have, a, I have a smaller Holy Spirit than they have. I have a lesser Holy Spirit than they have. They have more Holy Spirit than I have. Well, if that's true, you know what? It's available for you to have more if you want to think that way. But what I want to talk about is the potency. The potency of the Holy Ghost is not less. Are you with me? I want to break this down for you. Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. So he's the one that heals. He's the one that delivers. He's the one that saves. He's the one that does this work that is supernatural. You are tied in. I am tied in. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came up and he made residence inside of you. And so the, what the world needs is love. That's right. God's love more than anything else. Via, via the Holy Spirit. And so you and I are literally the, the uh, repositories of that oil. And so when you go out and you pray for people, when you pray for them here, when you pray for them at work, when you pray for them at school, when you pray for them, listen, you are unlocking heaven. You are unlocking power. 
right? That's what you're unlocked. Do you know the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given for evangelism? That's what they were given for. We, we, we take them and use them to have a self-promoting ministry. No, no. They were given. You were given power that you might be a witness. Power to be a witness. And so we tap into this oil that comes from unity. So when we're, when we're united with the purpose of the church... When we're united with the, the mandate of heaven and the great commission, which this church is, what happens is God says, more oil. Somebody should say amen there. <clears throat> Holy Spirit says, more oil. More oil. More oil. Why? Because they're going to use it right. Because they're going to give it away. Because they're going to step out in faith. Because the anointing, you should know this, and I'm sure you do, but I'm just going to remind you, the anointing is in the overflow. So, fill the cup, there's no anointing. Pour it till it overflows, that's the anointing. The anointing is in the overflow. So, how many of you want to overflow? Right? How many, how, many, how many of you want to live in the overflow? That's what I, I always want to be full, but I don't want to just be full. I want to overflow. And that overflow is what gives life to you. It's that overflow that gives grace and healing to you. It's that overflow that does it through you to the world. So if we can get our attention not on ourselves in any way, shape, or form, Keep our attention. Listen, I'm united with heaven's mandate and heaven's purpose. And heaven's mandate and heaven's purpose is loving people. It's showing them who he is. And unity is the power that God gives to his church to release that in the earth. And so there's this overflow that comes to think that God says, I command a blessing. There is a commanded blessing, but it doesn't come, listen, it doesn't come until the unity is there. So he won't command the blessing. He wants to. It's his heart to. He desires to, but he, he needs to have unity first. Otherwise, it will be destructive, and the blessing will destroy you. So he says, I'll give it to you when you come into unity. When you come into unity, then I'm going to command a blessing, and I'll tell you, in human terms, it'll blow your mind. Six minutes and 39 seconds. Here we go. I'm on the countdown. All right. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1, so let's break it down into natural everyday living in one sense. Unity over uniformity, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I urge you my brothers and sisters for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to agree, there's your will, there's your will right there, to agree to live in unity with one another. Okay, 
So I come into an agreement. I will live in unity. I will not be discordant. I will not be divisive. I will be in unity. I, I choose to. My flesh may at times say, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, and how many of you know submission only works when you disagree? <laughs> submission has, has no purpose whatsoever until you disagree. Right? Husbands and wives submit to one another. We like the other verse, wives submit to your husbands. But it actually also says husbands and wives submit to one another. Right? I disagree. Shut up and submit. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, really, I didn't. <laughs> Scratch that from the tape. <clears throat> Submit. Well, my flesh doesn't like it. Submit. My mind doesn't like it. Submit. My emotions don't like it. Submit. <laughs> what will happen? Blessing. Okay. Agree. Agree. I have a will. I choose to. Put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Wait a minute. Do you mean somebody will actually try and work against unity? Do you mean that somebody, there's somebody out there that doesn't want the church to be in unity? And, and he'll do whatever he can do to work it in such a way that people will come into offense and division and break unity? Do you know that most revivals that have ended have ended because of division and offense? It's not that God wanted to stop pouring out. Okay? It's not that God decided, okay, had enough. I ran out. I, I got no more to give. They've exhausted me. Are you with me? Right? Like, all of a sudden, God says, oh, my cup is empty. <laughs> I can't give anymore. Right? Like that wasn't the case. That's never the case. The reality is the circumstances that produced it started to diminish. Pride got in. Offense got in. Actually, the work of the enemy got in, caused and created offenses, and shut down the overflow. God wants to get us to a place of maturity where we have revival, have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, see souls coming in, and continue in unity so that he can continue to command blessing. He can continue to release it. God doesn't want to, why would God want to stop giving God? <laughs> I want to stop giving myself. <laughs> no, can the conditions handle it? Can the, can the conditions, can the hearts handle more? If they can't handle more, I have to because it will be counterproductive to them. But if the conditions continue, right heart attitudes, unity, love, right? Dealing with offense. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about dealing with offenders or those who get bent, if we can use a natural term, out of shape. And then they begin talking about it trying to detract from the house or detract from the leadership or detract from the vision, and you need to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You need some prayer. You need to, we used to call it AC, uh, not air conditioning, air attitude check. You need an attitude check. 
you need to get before the mirror of God and the mirror of his word and look in your heart and say, are you offended or are you carrying somebody else's offense? Because that's now preventing you and will prevent the house from coming into the fullness of all that God has. The enemy loves division. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That includes the house of God. Why do we have so many church splits? Because somebody said, I'm called, I'm anointed, I want to have my ministry, you won't acknowledge me, I'll go somewhere else. If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) We see it, right? We acknowledge it. We know it's true. And that's why when you see a church in unity, you see a leadership team in unity, and you see a house of God in unity, and they're all working with the same goal, with the same vision, with the same values, it's exciting. You want to go to church because you know something good's going to happen. God's going to show up. More people are going to get saved. We're going to see people get healed. Marriage is going to be restored. We're going to keep hearing testimonies of what God is doing. And your excitement level and your faith level grows and grows and grows. Why? Because there's unity in the house. There's unity of values. I know this church. You value the presence of God. Amen? You value worship. You value people. Yeah, right? You value, you value uh, the preaching of the word of God. You have a value base and a value center that as you focus on those values and you continue in those values, even as he says here, the, the power and the presence of God overtakes. I got 11 seconds. <clears throat> I'm being good. I think it was actually Pastor John who shared this. Some years ago, I heard him say this, and it stuck with me, and it's very true. In Revelation, it talks about a cup uh, that's filled, and then when the cup is filled, it's in reference to judgment, actually, in this uh, instance, it's poured out. In Genesis, it talks about the cup of the Amorites wasn't yet full, and so Israel had to be in Egypt for 400 years. And then when the cup of the Amorites was full and God was going to use Israel to judge them, then they were released from Egypt and they went into the promised land. But the the same is true spiritually for blessing. There is a cup that we fill by faith. There's a cup that we fill by unity. There's a cup that we fill by righteous good works, not not fleshly good works, but obedience to the Holy Spirit. And that cup gets filled to a place where literally, if if I I can't, I want to use a human term that would cause you to misunderstand me, but I'm going to use it anyway. God is forced to pour it out. Because the cup's full. It's full. And he's been waiting for it to fill. He's been waiting for it to fill. He's waiting for the conditions of hearts and minds and lives to be right so that he can pour it out. There's a laboring that takes place in spiritual things. And there has to be the maturity to handle it when he gives it. And I just sense in my spirit, I'm going I'm to end where I began, that your time is now. And there's outpouring coming. There's an outpouring. There's, there, the seeds have been sown and the water's been, the level of the cup is full and get, that, get ready with a heart of expectation for more 
of the presence of God, more souls coming in, uh, decisions having to be made as to, like, what are we going to do with this building? And are we going to plant another church? And decisions like that are not far off in your future. Amen? Amen? Amen. That concludes this CLC podcast. More podcasts can be found on our website at www.myclc.ca.